From the studios of EWTN, this is Open Line with today's host, Father Wade Menezes. In North America, call toll-free 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985 or send an email to openline at EWTN.com. You know, I always knew that uh, my good moderator each week, Mr. Jack Williams, general manager of EWTN Global Catholic Radio, is a man of faith. I have never, ever doubted it. But to let me take the helm today on my own, on Open Line Tuesday, that takes great, great faith on Jack's part. So I want to thank him for believing in me. I think this is the third time I've been able to do this. Even Tom Price is not available today. Tom usually pitch hits for, for Jack when Jack is not able to be here. So uh, I wish both men well uh, on the road as they are this week. And I ask the Holy Spirit and the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus for some extra guidance this hour. Welcome to Open Line Tuesday, where the focus here is faith, family, and fellowship. I'm Father Wade Menezes of the Fathers of Mercy in Auburn, Kentucky, broadcasting this week from our General at House. Feel free this hour to call toll-free anywhere in North America by dialing 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. And if you're outside the United States and Canada... Call 1-205-271-2985. Again, that's 1-205-271-2985. And we will even put you at the front of the line. Or feel free also to email us at openline at EWTN.com. Again, openline at EWTN.com, and in the subject line, put Father Wade or Open Line Tuesday, something to direct your questions specifically to me. Again, I'm Father Wade Menezes of the Fathers of Mercy. Our producer today is Mr. Michael McCall. Our call screener is Matt Gubinski, and Mr. Jeff Burson is handling our social media endeavors. So if you happen to be watching us on YouTube or Facebook Live, you can type a question in the chat window, and we may get to it, God willing, by the end of the program. So we welcome all of you Open Line Tuesday listeners listening in your vehicle or at work or maybe watching this hour live at the EWTN uh, YouTube live feed or the EWTN radio Facebook live feed. So feel free to tune in this hour in a way that's most convenient for you. And I want our callers today to focus on the beautiful devotion of the most sacred heart of Jesus this coming Friday. The 16th of June is the great solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, a solemnity, the highest degree of feast in the Universal Church, our one holy Catholic and apostolic faith. For example, have you had your home consecrated to the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus? If so, give a call, give a witness about that. I'm going to talk a little bit throughout the hour about the Sacred Heart enthronement of the home. You know, our Lord had a real viable pumping, bloody human heart. And I mean that literally, not metaphorically. Our Lord God, in his second divine personage, had a real, viable, pumping, bloody human heart for some 33 years that he 
was on earth, the last three of which sacred tradition tells us was his public life. You know, our God, therefore, is a revealed God, huh? He's a revealed God. St. Athanasius, the great bishop and doctor of the early church, says, God became man so that man may become like God, partaking in sanctifying grace and thereby partaking in God's own divine life. In other words, the creator became a creature, huh? The creator became a creature. This is like saying that the architect became the blueprint. Or how about this? The potter sitting at the spinning wheel with wet clay literally became the cup. You know, our human minds don't even lend themselves to such imagery, but yet we can say as Christians that yes, the creator became a creature in his second divine personage, the triune Godhead, became man, assuming a full, a, a full human nature, just like ours, in every way but sin, huh? Archbishop Fulton Sheen says, Almighty God made us in his own image and likeness, precisely so that one day he might assume our own image and likeness. In other words, Almighty God made us in his own image and likeness. Fulton Sheen there is quoting Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 so that precisely one day he might assume our own image and likeness in the womb of a woman, the Blessed Virgin Mary, born nine months later in his visible sacred humanity uh, in a manger in Bethlehem. Here's our, here's our pro-life arguments right here, that God chose to enter the world in this fashion. Huh? You know, poetically speaking, my friends, the human heart is a profound symbol of love, of mercy, and mind you, poetically speaking, across cultures and across times, the human heart is a profound symbol of the following, love, mercy, faithfulness, steadfastness, commitment, passion, that is a love that is willing to suffer for the other, the epitome of other-centeredness, passio in the Latin. It's, it's a love, but it's specifically the kind of love that's willing to suffer for the other. Okay, this is why, you know, no greater love is there than this, right? Than to lay down one's life for one's friends, which our Lord Jesus Christ did. Uh, poetically speaking, the human art is also a profound symbol of loyalty, of diligence, and I love this one, the human heart is seen as an anchor, huh? Uh, the, the concrete foundation, if you will, uh, of a balanced emotional life involving the passions, feelings, and emotions. The human heart helps keep the passions, emotions, and feelings through a life of virtue in check. Uh, because, you know, resulting of the fall of our first parents, we now have a darkened intellect and a weakened will. When before the fall of our first parents in the book of Genesis, we had an enlightened intellect and a strengthened will. But that all changed after the original sin. So we need a solid foundation, an anchor, huh, of a balanced emotional life so that we're led into virtuous living rather than viceful living. You know, the most sacred heart of Jesus, my friends, assures us that God has eliminated any and all distance between us and him. Amen? Loving us from within our own fallen human nature, which he himself took on in its full form, but although, of course, never sinned himself. Uh, this most sacred heart of Jesus means that a divine person loves us with a perfect human heart. Consequently, our own wounded human hearts are consoled and perfected by his own sacred heart. We have only to unite our hearts to Christ's sacred heart to receive all that it contains. Our Lord promised St. Margaret Mary that, quote, sinners shall find in my heart the source and the infinite ocean of mercy. And those who shall promote this devotion shall have their names written in my heart, 
never to be blotted out. The most sacred heart of Jesus also, my friends, reveals the merciful love of our Savior, banishing all fear, shame, and discouragement from our own wounded hearts. Maybe you experience shame or fear or discouragement from something from your past, huh? Be healed of that past. Move forward, the saints show us, and Scripture tells us, huh? Jesus tells a sinful woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. And we tell someone to go, quote-unquote, go. You're telling them to go forward and not stay harnessed in their past. And that's what Jesus told the adulterous woman. The heart of Jesus continues to beat for us in heaven, literally, not metaphorically, because his sacred humanity is in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, pouring out its infinite merits upon us through the seven sacraments of the church, what we call the sacramental economy of Holy Mother Church. That's three sacraments of initiation, two sacraments of union, and two sacraments of healing. Uh, The three sacraments of initiation, baptism, confirmation, Holy Eucharist, the two sacraments of union, holy orders, and matrimony that are at the service of the populaces to the entire world, and the two sacraments of healing, the anointing of the sick, and holy confession for the body-soul composite reality of the human person. Our Lord promised St. Margaret Mary Alacoque that, quote, "...sinners shall find in my heart the source and the infinite ocean of mercy." And those who shall promote this devotion shall have their names written in my heart, never to be blotted out. And so we also look at the sacred heart of Jesus because it's a profound symbol of the core belief of Christianity. God became man, right? He loves each one of us immeasurably and without exception. Although pierced terribly by our sins, the sacred heart of our Lord overflows with compassion and love for all of mankind, even when that love is not reciprocated. He's there for us. Therefore, the devotion to the most sacred heart of Jesus is one of the most important devotions among Catholics. It became popular following the apparitions of Jesus to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, a Catholic nun from France between the years of 1673 and 1675. And during... uh, his visits to her, Jesus promised her, quote, my daughter, to all those who receive Holy Communion on the first Fridays of nine consecutive months, I will grant the grace of final perseverance. They shall not die in my disgrace, nor without receiving their sacraments. My divine heart shall be their safe refuge in this last moment. And I'll talk more about the promises associated with the nine first Fridays in honor of the Sacred Heart of Jesus when we come back from our break. And know this, the Church dedicates the entire month of June to the most Sacred Heart of Jesus, remembering always that we were loved first by God, Catholics strive to venerate and imitate the most generous and sacred heart of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm Father Wade Menezes of the Fathers of Mercy on this Open Line Tuesday Live. We want to hear about your devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and we will be right back. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, welcome back to all of our Open Line Tuesday listeners, either watching or just hearing, if they're listening only to the audio. 
You know, I want to finish up this springboard topic on the devotion to the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus by mentioning the requirements for the Nine First Fridays devotion, a devotion from uh, the writings of St. Margaret Mary Alacoque that are fully approved by the authority of the Church. We read this in regards to the requirements. Receive Holy Communion on each First Friday. In other words, go to Mass and receive Holy Communion with the intention of honoring Christ's Sacred Heart. If you are not in a state of grace and thus unable to receive Holy Communion, you will also need to go to confession, of course. The nine First Fridays, number two, must be consecutive. They cannot be broken. And thirdly, the nine First Fridays must be made in honor of and in reparation to our Lord's most sacred heart. Uh, some of the traditional short aspiration prayers in honor of the most sacred heart of Jesus are the following. Merciful Jesus, I consecrate myself today and always to thy most sacred heart. Most sacred heart of Jesus, I implore that I may love thee ever more and more. Most sacred heart of Jesus, I trust in thee. I love that one, that third one, because it reminds me of the sacred heart of Jesus devotion and the divine mercy devotion kind of being melded together, huh? Because Jesus, I trust in you is at the base of the image of the divine mercy. So again, most sacred heart of Jesus, I trust in thee. And remember the two rays from the Divine Mercy Devotion, the red ray and the white ray, although they're emanating from our Lord's Sacred Heart, you cannot see the Sacred Heart in the official image of the Divine Mercy, right? But the, the red ray is symbolic of the Eucharist, the white ray is symbolic of the Sacrament of Baptism. Our Lord told Faustina this fact, and so we have those two beautiful rays uh, uh, emanating excuse me, from his uh, sacred heart. And remember, our Lord in the divine mercy image is in the baptismal elb for both men and women. How beautiful is that, that he's in the baptismal elb calling all to baptism? How wonderful is that in the divine mercy image? Uh, and so we rejoice in that one, especially that, that aspiration prayer. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us, is another traditional one. Most sacred heart of Jesus, I believe in thy love for me. Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like unto thine. Sacred heart of Jesus, thy kingdom come. And most sacred heart of Jesus, convert sinners, save the dying, and deliver the holy souls in purgatory. So some beautiful aspiration prayers uh, regarding the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, along with the requirements for the Nine First Fridays. Go to fathersofmercy.com and click on the magnifying glass in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage at fathersofmercy.com. When you click on that magnifying glass, uh, a search bar comes up in the middle of the homepage, uh, the first page to come up, of course, when you go to fathersofmercy.com. Click on that magnifying glass, the search bar comes up in the middle of that, of that homepage, and type in the words Nine First Fridays, nine first Fridays, and you'll see my blog that is a more extensive uh, uh, giving of the nine first Fridays devotion. Also on the search bar, you can type in five first Saturdays, and you'll see my entire blog there for the requirements of the five first Saturdays. So how beautiful is this to do these spiritual works, not for the works themselves, no, but for the charity they help prosper to our fellow neighbor, our fellow human being. Huh? Uh, and I close this springboard topic by mentioning the 12 promises of the Sacred Heart uh, that our Lord made to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque. Listen to this, quote, number one, I will grant all the graces necessary for their state in life. In other words, whether single, married, a consecrated priest, brother, sister, uh, widowed, uh, active or contemplative religious diocesan priest, it doesn't matter. I will grant all the graces necessary for their state in life. Number two, I will grant peace to their homes. Number three, I will comfort them in all their afflictions. 
Number four, I will be the secure refuge for them during life and at their death. Number five, I will grant abundant blessings upon all of their undertakings. Number six, I will grant infinite mercy for their sins. Number seven, tepid souls shall be made fervent. Number eight, fervent souls shall be mounted to a degree of great perfection. Number nine, I will bless every place where a picture or image of my heart is honored. Number 10, I will give to priests the gift of touching the most hardened of hearts. Number 11, promoters of this sacred heart devotion shall have their names written in my own heart, never to be erased. And number 12, I will grant the grace of final penitence to those who receive Holy Communion in a state of grace on nine consecutive First Fridays. So there you have it, my friends, this coming Friday, the great solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Hopefully we practice it on a regular continuum. Uh, was that redundant, a regular continuum? Anyway, at least on the First Fridays. And remember, you go through one cycle of nine First Fridays, just as you go through one cycle of five First Saturdays, start the cycle up again. It's not just one time you do the devotion. We're meant to live it, huh? We're meant to live it. So we've got a few callers here we'll be taking, and uh, I want to welcome right now uh, Tella from Peoria, Illinois. And before we go live with Tella, I just want to remind our callers to call in with your Sacred Heart devotion witness. Maybe you've had your family home consecrated to the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. When we come back from the bottom of the hour's break, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the MessyFamilyProject.org Pray and Play Challenge, actually Play and Pray Challenge, on having the home uh, devoted and enshrined to the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, what we call an enthronement. So Tella from Peoria, Illinois, thank you for your call today on Open Line Tuesday Live. What? My question was, um, about in Novus Ordo, Ordo churches, um, I noticed that they allow women to be the lectors, but I'm confused a little bit because of, um, I believe it's first, first Corinthians, um, states that women should be silent in church. So I'm just wondering, um, kind of how that works. Right. Great question. Great question. So with the, uh, Reformed Roman Rite, what you call the Norvus Ordo, which which Ordo, which literally means new rite, but it's it's what fifty five plus years old now. I don't I don't like to call it the Novus Ordo. I think it's misleading. We can properly call it the Reformed Roman Rite, or we can call it the Reformed Roman Rite of the Second Vatican Council. We can also call it the ordinary uh, the uh, ordinary form of the Mass. Uh, these are three names that you can use for it. Um, but Novus Ordo is kind of misleading because it, it, people say, well, was there another one after Vatican II? And, and n- the new order of Mass is what was first used, as you just said, and rightly so, in the, in the immediate aftermath of the Second Vatican Council, which ran from 1962 to 1965. It was uh, begun by now Pope St. John XXIII and was closed uh, by now St. Pope Paul VI. So with the Reformed Roman Rite, the major orders were changed, and the minor orders, like Lector and Acolyte, were named ministries, quote-unquote, no longer part of the official major orders of the Church, like uh, diaconate, which is for deacons, presbyterate for priests, and episcopate for bishops. That remains uh, the major orders in the Reformed Roman Rite, Anything under diaconate are ministries that are, are open 
to uh, men and women. And so that's the answer directly to your question. But you are correct in, in intimating that uh, prior to the Reformed Roman Rite, uh, with those what are now ministries being part of what are called were, were then called minor orders and still are are called minor orders in the extraordinary form of the Mass, that is the traditional Latin Mass, it is open just to males. So the answer to your question is with the, the reform of the uh, Roman Rite, what we appropriately call now uh, the Reformed Roman Rite of the Second Vatican Council, or just simply the Reformed Roman Rite, because that phrase speaks for itself, or also the ordinary form of the Mass from Pope Benedict XVI's Modu Proprio from 2006, I believe. And although that Modu Proprio has been abrogated, uh, for differentiation of the traditional Latin Mass and the Reformed Roman Rite, you can still use the terms ordinary and extraordinary form. That, that question's been answered. So uh, thank you so much for a great question, a great liturgical question, and hopefully very catechetical in nature as well. Next, we're going to go to Mike from Spokane, or Spokane, Mike, maybe you can answer the question. <laughs> uh, I've heard it both ways. I've preached many times in Spokane or Spokane. I know and, you, uh, Father. We love you. Yeah, and, and you know, what is, tell us as a native from there, I presume you're born and raised there. If not, you've lived there well, long actually, enough. I, 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 yeah, actually, I was born in Michigan, Pontiac, near Detroit, but uh, I grew up in Idaho, North Idaho, St. Mary's, Coeur d'Alene, and Spokane. Natives okay. say Spokane, and the, the people who are not around Spokane usually say Spokane. Okay, well, there you have it. There, now, that, see, that was catechetical <laughs> for me. That was catechetical, catechetical for me, Mike, so thank you so much. And uh, wishing you and Tala, just before you, a, a blessed solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus coming up this Friday. What can we do for you today? Well, we're glad to always have you here in Spokane, too. And, and Ben Crosby was raised in Spokane. There you he go. Has a house here. Yeah, he has a house here in Spokane. With and some great, some well, great I, Catholic I films. Some great Catholic films yeah. in, in Bing Crosby's past. Going My Way, Bells of St. Mary's. Beautiful yeah, day yeah. in Spokane, by the way. Um, I, I just want to give thanks to Jesus for Divine Mercy Sunday. When you oh, think of his yeah. heart, the rays coming from Jesus' heart, yeah. and all and, is forgiven. Amen. And, and all while in a baptismal alb, calling us to the grace of baptism, that one of three beautiful sacraments of initiation. Amen to that. Also, Father, um, you know, I'm going to wish everyone, uh, of course, you especially, all of you, a happy St. Anthony of Padua feast day. And, and Pope Francis has said that we should think more about heaven. And Jesus has said, in my house there are many places and mansions. Yeah. Could you comment on that, please? Sure. In fact, Scripture comments on it directly, as do the Church Fathers and many of the saints, even up until modern times, like John Paul II and St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Uh, the, the phrase, in regards to many mansions in my Father's house, is based on the degree of charity the person lived while still living on earth. Faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. There's a beautiful story that St. Therese tells in her writing. She's one of the 36 doctors of the Church, one of the three female great doctors of the Church, uh, where she could not understand this as a young adolescent how um, there would be different degrees of, of glory for individual human persons in heaven who made it there based on their charity that they practiced on earth, the theological virtue of love, the theological virtue of charity. Because in Therese's young adolescent mind, everybody in heaven would be equal. And so 
Her oldest sister grabbed four or five, I forget how many sisters were there at the moment, it was four or all five of them, let's say it was five, grabbed uh, five glasses, each one a different size from the kitchen cupboard. She filled each of the five glasses, each one in a different size, she filled each one to the rim or to the brim with water. And she gave each sister a glass according to the sister's age. The oldest sister got the largest glass all the way down to Therese, who got the, the smallest glass of filled to the rim of water because Therese was the youngest. And the sister, I, I believe it was, um, uh, it might have been Celine who was just above Therese. She said, see, Therese, the glass itself is heaven, okay? It, it, the encompassing and being encompassed in heaven. And the water filled to the rim is the merit. And everybody has, has their full in heaven, their fill in heaven. Nobody's more, nobody's less in regards to being satisfied. And Therese says, now I get it. Give me the largest glass. She wanted the largest glass, although she was the youngest. Thanks, Mike, for a great call. This is Open Line on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. If you have a question, call 1-833-288-EWTN. That's 1-833-288-3986. Outside North America, call 1-205-271-2985. Or send us an email to openline at EWTN.com. Well, thank you, Open Line Tuesday listeners, for tuning in this hour live. If there's anything you didn't quite catch because of the live hour, be sure to go back and listen to the podcast or watch the podcast, if you will, on EWTN Global Catholic Radio's Facebook page or EWTN's YouTube page. It should be posted within two hours after the live show today. I want to talk a little bit about MessyFamilyProject.org, founded by Mike and Alicia Herndon. Great Catholic family resource website. Again, MessyFamilyProject.org. Don't you love the name of that? website, MessyFamilyProject.org. And they are featuring this month of June what they're calling their Play and Pray Challenge, with four primary elements to it. Number one, mom and dad, go on a date. Renew the well of your marriage. Remind yourselves that before you are a mom and dad, you are a husband and wife first. And that relationship is where it all begins. And the greatest gift you can give in loving your children is letting your children see a mother and father who are in love with each other. That's the greatest gift you can give your children, is letting your children see that mom and dad love each other. Love it. So number one, go on a date, mom and dad. Number two, have a family day. Set aside a day this month where you celebrate family life with your kids. Show them you are willing to step into their lives, do things that they enjoy, and have some lighthearted fun with them. Number three, here we go, because they kicked off this pray and or play and pray challenge this month of June. Number three is enthrone Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, as king of your family home with the Sacred Heart enthronement. Listen to this. Use our simple ceremony to enthrone an image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in your home. Renew it every year to keep it fresh in your family's culture. 
Jesus promised that when families enthrone him, he will shower them with graces, bless and protect their homes, and give them the strength to live out their vocations as children and as parents. Each of us wants our entire family to get to heaven together. Amen to that. And the surest way we can do this is by relying on the sacred heart of Jesus. The main purpose, I've always said it. I said it at Jack and Johnette's wedding a few years back in Florida. The main purpose of a sacramental marriage is to help get one another into heaven. And the fourth element is challenge others to carry out these first three challenges. Challenge other families to do the same thing. Ask your friends, neighbors, and relatives to join the 2023 Play and Pray Challenge. Share our flyer in your parish and in your small groups with your pastor's permission. And again, you can find all of this information at MessyFamilyProject.org. At the homepage, scroll down a little bit to the category that says Upcoming Events, and it's the first event listed under Upcoming Events, the MessyFamilyProject.org Play and Pray Challenge. Number one, go on a date, Mom and Dad. Number two, have a family day. Number three, enthrone the Sacred Heart of Jesus as King of your home. And number four, challenge others. So be sure to check out their website again, MessyFamilyProject.org. During this month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, they're kicking off this Play and Pray Challenge, and may they have great, great uh, success with it. We go now to Molly in Fort Collins, Colorado. Molly, welcome to Open Line Tuesday Live. Yes, thank you, Father. Um, Do you want to hear um, the way that I adore the Sacred Heart, or do you want my question? Ah, let's hear the Sacred Heart first, since that's the springboard topic of the show, and then I also want your question. Okay, thanks, Father. Uh, the The biggest thing that I can do in my home is have the enthronement to the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Um, I have that in my uh, vestibule so that anyone who comes in, um, mm. they, they witness that. And some people ask me about it, some don't. So, you know, it's it's a private thing but it's very special. And then Eucharistic adoration is extremely important to me with the soul of Christ, the anima Christi prayer always. Oh, beautiful, which is so Eucharistic. In fact, it's a prayer that's prayed traditionally, not only, but traditionally after one receives Holy Communion. And so it's so tied, as Holy Communion is so tied to the Sacred Heart devotion. You know, some of the approved Eucharistic miracles that that secular scientists alone have looked at and have been dumbfounded at over the centuries, secular scientists, mind you, not necessarily people of faith, have found uh, the Eucharistic transformed uh, host to be uh, inner cordium wall tissue. Tissue from the inner wall inner wall of the most sacred heart, or of the human heart, and so we tie that to the sacred heart of Jesus. We hear the phrase, the Eucharistic heart of Jesus, often. And I love the image. I don't know if those of you watching live can see right now in my office the image of the sacred heart of Jesus. I'm pointing to it right now. Um, I have a, a candle lit in front of it, but uh, it's the image of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. He's, he has one of his human hands pointing to his heart, and the other human hand is kind of extended out, like saying, come to me. He's like beckoning, please come to me. Very similar to the Divine Mercy devotion in this way. He's got one hand pointing to the source of the two rays, the red and white ray, which is his Sacred Heart, even though we don't see the Sacred Heart in the Divine Mercy image. And the other hand is up in the form of a blessing, like he's giving a blessing. And so there's a tie there. He's beckoning. And the other thing about (laughs) the Divine Mercy devotion uh, that shows that 
uh, Jesus is beckoning us is that he's walking towards us. You'll notice in every Divine Mercy devotion, he's not only in the baptismal alb, but he's got one foot in front of the other. So he's walking towards us like he's coming. He's saying to us, I'm coming in your space. What are you going to do about it? I'm entering into your space. What are you going to do about it? Isn't that great? That's a God who loves, right? So Molly, that's a great, great point. Now, what? and I want to commend you also on, on mentioning the Immaculate Heart of Mary, which is celebrated the day after the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Saturday, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, that brings us the five first Saturday devotions, which people can also find out about by going to fathersofmercy.com and printing off my blog there, as they can the blog on the nine first Fridays. Uh, But I have discerned publicly more and more families, more and more single people, more and more uh, priests and rectories in their rectories, they're consecrating and throning their homes not only to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, to Jesus, but to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, His Mother, who has only one source, one one goal, to lead us more closely to her son. So you make a good point by mentioning not only the Sacred Heart of Jesus for yourself, Molly, for your home, what you have set up there in your foyer or your vestibule, but also the Immaculate Heart of Mary. I commend you on that. Thank you. Well, Father, your, the rest of what you've said leads to my question about the science, uh, scientist and investigations and finding the flesh and blood of the human heart. And my question is about the DNA that's present there. And how does that impact us? What impact does that have on us? So that does God recognize that DNA of Jesus when we die? Does he see that in us? Is that a possibility? Because well, that's a very intimate um, connection to Jesus in adoration. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. You're absolutely correct. And here's the thing. Even if there is not a Eucharistic miracle on this particular host, we'll call it host A, or nor is there a Eucharistic miracle on this particular host B or this particular host C, we still believe that at the words of consecration, what are also referred to as the words of institution, the miracle of transubstantiation takes place, that the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ truly becomes present on the altar. No longer ordinary bread and wine, but really, truly, and substantially the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a Eucharistic miracle can take place to inspire greater faith, And of course, we submit to the bishop and his commission that inspects the Eucharistic miracle that always has secular uh, individuals on it as well, as well as believers, uh, to give him an assessment, uh, the commission does, to give an assessment to the bishop on what they believe the, the substance now really is. And you're right, as what I said earlier, what you just echoed, is that some of the miracles have shown to be heart tissue, uh, and or inner cordium heart tissue. Um, some have been uh, to be O-type positive blood, AB positive blood, uh, different types. So it, to me, it shows simply through faith, Molly, that he's the God of all. He's the second divine personage of our triune Godhead who created all of us in his own image and likeness. That's the answer of faith that I give, that number one, we don't need Eucharistic miracles because we still believe. Scripture says that faith comes from hearing, quote unquote, right? Faith comes from hearing. And sure enough, at the consecration, right after the consecration, it still looks like bread and wine. It still smells like bread and wine. It still touches like bread and wine. It still tastes like bread and wine. I just went through four of the five senses, sight, smell, taste, and touch. But hearing, 
What does scripture say again, Molly? Faith comes through hearing, right? We hear the words of consecration at Mass. This is my body. This is my blood. So faith comes from hearing. So the accidents, uh, that's a philosophical term for the other word, characteristics. The accidents or the characteristics remain the same, but faith tells us it's truly the substance of bread and wine have truly been transubstantiated, meaning a change of substance, into the body, blood, soul, and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ, really, truly, and substantially. But he's the God of all, and so it doesn't matter what blood type it is, it doesn't matter if it's the inner cordium wall or the outer cordium wall, uh, or just show to be human flesh under the microscope, let alone of the heart, inner or outer wall of the heart. The fact is, if the church approves it, we can take this particular miracle, this particular Eucharistic miracle, to feed our faith. Uh, but we don't rely on miracles. We rely on faith itself, and faith comes from hearing, and we hear the words of consecration at Mass. Molly, thank you so much, and a very blessed, blessed uh, Sacred Heart solemnity to you this Friday. Next, we're going to go to Nancy, calling from Illinois. Hello, Nancy. Hi, Father Manishas. Thank you so much for taking my call. And happy Nancy, you said... Of- Nancy, I'm you sorry, said my last name perfectly. You said my last oh. name perfectly. <laughs> Not well, everybody does Because that. I've been listening to you for a million years. <laughs> you know, I tell people, Menezes, Menezes rhymes with diseases, right? Oh, so my goodness. <laughs> once I tell people that, well, the funny thing is, once I tell people that, they never, ever forget how to pronounce Menezes. What can we do for you today, Nancy? Well, I just have a quick question. First of all, happy week of the Sacred Heart and Immaculate Heart. And I want to ask you a question. I do have, I've been visiting your website very often, the Fathers of Mercy, for the examination of conscience, and it's a wonderful website. However, Mm -hmm. I'm still confused on what constitutes grave matter, and I hope that you can give me some some specific examples to make it clear for me. Okay. Grave matter is one of the three elements required for a mortal sin to have been committed. What are the other two? Well, we have grave matter in and of itself. We have to have fullness of knowledge that it is grave matter. You have to know that it's grave matter. And number three, and finally, you have to still do the action with full consent of your will. Grave matter done with fullness of knowledge and done with deliberate consent of your will. If any one or two of those three are missing, you have a venial sin. All three must be present for a mortal sin to be present. Grave matter, fullness of knowledge, and done with deliberate consent of your will. Now let's comb through all three of those individually. Grave matter is the one you're asking about. It contravenes God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, and seriously so, okay? It constitutes grave matter when it contravenes God's moral law, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, another word, word, singular word for the Ten Commandments is the Decalogue, and gravely so. Then number two, you have fullness of knowledge that it does, and number three, you do it with full and conscious, deliberate consent of your will anyway. So you want an example? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not kill. But then we look to the church's further teaching. There's a difference for killing for the sake of killing, but there's also a difference when one has done so in self-defense, right? So you have to know the sub-teachings of each of the, of the Ten Commandments. So fornication, that is uh, sexual relations between two unmarried persons, the sin of fornication is not listed per se by name in the Ten Commandments, but we know from the church's moral teaching on the Sixth and Ninth Commandment 
And this is where the Fathers of Mercy examination of conscience comes in so handily, which you mentioned that you got off our website, fathersofmercy.com. It's ready to print off as a PDF document, both in the English and in the Spanish. Uh, we know from the Church's moral teachings on the Sixth and Ninth Commandments that fornication is included. Uh, you don't find abortion in the Ten Commandments listed by name, but we know it falls under thou shalt not kill, right? So those are examples uh, of, of, of that. Now, there's also... Uh, a very, very good argument. Remember, the Ten Commandments are the strict letter of the law, but the nine Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5's beginning are the spirit of the law. And so we want to live out the Ten Commandments not according only, only to the strict letter of the law. Thou shalt not this, thou shalt not that. No, we got to live them with love. This is why the, the nine Beatitudes are so beautiful. This is why the nine Beatitudes are so important, right? So you, you talk to any lawyer uh, you know, a, a civil lawyer, a corporate lawyer, uh, my background, talk to an agricultural lawyer, uh, in, in, in agriculture, say a land lawyer or a land trust lawyer, uh, chances are they're going to tell you there's a strict letter in, of the law, but then there's also the spirit of the law to which it's be, to be interpreted, and, and, it, and it's faithful to the strict letter, no doubt. So when Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the old law, the old covenant, the, the Ten Commandments, I came to bring it to fulfillment. He then uh, gives us the nine Beatitudes. Actually, he gives us the nine Beatitudes, then says that line. I did not come to abolish the old law and the prophets, the old covenant, but to bring it to fulfillment. And what's interesting about the word fulfillment, Nancy, is that in both the Greek and the Hebrew, the word fulfillment, quote-unquote, means to render perfect to render perfect. In other words, there's no further improvement on this thing in question that we're talking about because it's already perfect. So many of the church fathers writing in the first seven to eight centuries, for example, refer to the nine Beatitudes as the handmaidens. I love that image. The, 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 the handmaids. Uh, think, of the, think of the attendance to a bride on her wedding day, her bridesmaids. Uh, the 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 nine Beatitudes are, are the handmaids, or the bridesmaids, to the Ten Commandments. They go hand in hand, and that's a beautiful thing. So great question on what constitutes grave matter. Again, it, it, it contravenes God's moral law, the Decalogue, but seriously so. But it's not enough just to stop at reading the Ten Commandments at word value. You have to know how the Church expounds on each of the Ten Commandments in regards to uh, the Church's morality and dogmatic uh, teachings. Great question, Nancy. Thank you so much for calling into Open Line Tuesday today. Now we're going to go to, to Joan. Uh, in Gulfport, Mississippi. Joan, what kind of weather are you having? I hear it's kind of cold in the further south than what we are here in Kentucky. Oh, well, um, I'm outside right now, actually driving, and there are some really dark clouds up there, and it is hot and humid, and according to the car thermostat or whatever, it's 94 degrees outside. <laughs> Isn't that something? And it's supposed to get cooler. Get this, yesterday on Monday, it was 64 degrees at around 10 a.m., here at the Fathers of Mercy in Auburn, Kentucky. It felt like late November. Joan, what can we do for you today? <laughs> well, I have I, I have not been able to listen to your whole program. I came out of uh, uh, some physical therapy uh, at the top of the hour, and um, I then had to make another stop. So, But I thought I heard you say that you were asking people uh, what they're doing for Friday, uh, the Feast of our uh, Sacred Heart of Jesus. And so along that line, I just wanted to say I was looking at this morning, I believe it was the um, 
the register on EWTN site. Right. And there was an article. Okay, there was an article about uh, Friday the 16th, Feast of our, uh, the Sacred Heart of Jesus. The Solemnity, that's right. The day that the uh, Dodgers are going to honor the um, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. That's correct. So they, uh, the writer of the article was encouraging people to say the litany of the Sacred Heart on Friday. Yeah, actually, Joan, your, your timing is perfect to wrap up the show, because the article you're referring to is the official statement by the USCCB um, in regards to the honoring of the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence at the L.A. Dodgers game on Friday the 16th, which is per se the Solemnity of the Most Sacred Jesus. And uh, you've stated here that what you're going to do is you're going to pray as an act of reparation the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus litany, as the bishops are calling us to do that day, uh, in their official statement that came out yesterday on June 12th, at around 5 p.m. Eastern Time, give or take. And I'd like to take that time now and and read the the full statement for the benefit of our Open Line Tuesday listeners. Listen to this. Catholics invited to pray an act of reparation on Solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. Uh, Dateline, Washington, D.C. On June 16th, the Catholic Church celebrates the Solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. Most Reverend Timothy P. Broglio of the Archdiocese of the Military Services and President of the U.S. SCCB, that is the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and Cardinal Timothy M. Dolan of New York, chairman of the USCCB's Committee for Religious Liberty, joined by Archbishop Jose H. Gomez of Los Angeles, have called on Catholics to pray the litany of the most sacred heart of Jesus and make an act of reparation, an act offered to the Lord with the intention of repairing the spiritual damage inflicted by sin. The bishop's invitation to the faithful now follows, and I quote the official statement from the bishops. Quote, Catholic Christians traditionally recognize June as the month of the most sacred heart of Jesus. During this time, we call to mind Christ's love for us, which is visible in a special way in the image of his pierced heart, and we pray that our own hearts might be conformed to his calling us to love and respect all his people. This year, on June 16th, the day of the Solemnity of the Sacred Heart of Jesus, a professional baseball team has shockingly chosen to honor a group whose lewdness and vulgarity in mocking our Lord, his mother, and consecrated women cannot be overstated. This is not just offensive and painful to Christians everywhere. It is blasphemy. It has been heartening to see so many faithful Catholics and others of goodwill stand up to say that what this group does is wrong, and it is wrong to honor them. We call on Catholics to pray the litany of the Sacred Heart of Jesus on June 16th, offering this prayer as an act of reparation for the blasphemies against our Lord we see in our culture today. End quote. Again, that's the official statement from yesterday, June 12th, around 5 p.m. Eastern Time, from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, the USCCB, regarding the upcoming Los Angeles Dodgers game on February 16th, which is the calendar day per se of the great solemnity of the most sacred heart of Jesus, wherein they plan to honor in a special way 
the organization known as the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. So Joan, thank you for uh, your own witness. You're making it clear you're planning uh, to pray uh, the Litany of the Sacred Heart that day in reparation. Am I correct? Did I hear you correctly on that? And also in your, in your comments to our call screener. Right, that, that's correct. And also, I ordered, I can't remember what it was, because I've ordered some books from uh, two different publishers online, and I see that they were both in my mailbox today. Uh, one is a book on the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Oh, beautiful. Uh, I, Fantastic. I can't get the exact title, but anyways. And also want to remind the people in L.A., to, the Catholics, to remember to boycott that game. Don't go to that game Friday. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Joan, thank you so much for your faith, your witness. You've given us a great, what I like to call a witness call, the importance, the importance of a just boycott, a just boycott when it infringes on uh, religious liberty. Uh, and I want to thank you for your public witness and a, and a great call. And you let in beautifully for me to do something that I wanted to do today, and that is to read the USCCB's official statement, uh, which came out yesterday evening on June 12th. Thank you so much, Joan. We now go in the last minute and a half that we have together to Marvin from North Carolina. Marvin, how you doing? Doing good. How about you, sir? Doing fantastic. Thank you so much for calling into Open Line Tuesday. I'd like to ask about the lady that was uh, com- caught in the act of adultery. What did uh, Jesus write down on the ground, sir, when he stooped down to write? What was it? Great question, Marvin. Uh, Jesus not only stooped down to write on the ground in the sand, he not only did it once, he did it twice. And he did it in silence. And we look to the writings of the church fathers of the first seven and eight centuries and what they had to say about this. They tell Jesus... Uh, uh, we're told to stone her according to Moses' law. What is it, Master, that you say to do with her? Because she has just been caught in the very act of adultery. And Jesus doesn't respond verbally. He goes down and writes in the sand. Then he gets back up and goes back down a second time, writes in the sand some more. You know what the church fathers say? Marvin, they say that Jesus was writing in the sand the very sins of those men standing around her, telling Jesus that she should be stoned. For example, Jesus was writing words like, adulterer yourself or embezzler of your employer's funds, or wife beater, or drunkard. You know, Jesus is writing sins like that. In other words, calling the men on the carpet themselves, right? And what do they start doing, Marvin? Can you tell us really quick, what do the men start doing, Marvin? They start doing what? They they left, right? Yeah, they start leaving one by one, man. They're not going to stick around when Jesus is calling them on the carpet. No way. No way. Marvin, what a great question, especially uh, as we celebrate the Sacred Heart of Jesus this Friday, which uh, tells us that God is merciful and he can wipe away any sin. And he calls us to go forward because he told the adulterous woman, Marvin, go and sin no more. He's telling her to go forward, not to stay harnessed in her pack, in her past. God bless you all, Open Line Tuesday listeners. And I'm going to give you all a blessing. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit descend upon all of you and remain with you this day and always. Most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. And St. Joseph, terror of demons, pray for us.